your host, Garrett Rennan. So this is going to be another one of those off-the-cuff, improv type of uh, podcasts where I just have a few notes and I kind of want to see where things go. And so for this podcast, I want to talk about electric cars, smart cities, and large corporations, and this idea that the road to hell can be paved with convenience, right? And that's kind of a takeoff of one of my favorite quotes, which is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And the reason I like that quote a lot, even though it's kind of a negative quote in a way, it it lets you know that the best of intentions or that that intention is not always enough, right? Intention is definitely powerful and it makes a difference. You need to have good intentions, but the best of intentions combined with the wrong method can lead to negative results. So anyway, so I want to talk about how the road to hell is paved with convenience, or at least it can be paved with convenience. So to start this podcast off, I'm going to read a very short blog titled, Welcome to 2030. I own nothing, have no privacy, and life has never been better. So this blog was published by the World Economic Forum, and I'll get into who they are in a little bit. But So I'm going to start off reading the blog. So here goes. Welcome to the year 2030. Welcome to my city, or should I say our city. I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances or any clothes. It might seem odd to you, but it makes perfect sense for us in this city. Everything you consider a product has now become a service. We have access to transportation, accommodation, food, and all the things we need in our daily lives. One by one, all these things became free, so it ended up not making sense for us to own much. First, communication became digitalized and free to everyone. Then when clean energy became free, things started to move quickly. Transportation dropped dramatically in price. It made no sense for us to own cars anymore because we could all call a driverless vehicle or flying car for longer journeys within minutes. We started transporting ourselves in a much more organized and coordinated way when public transportation became easier, quicker, and more convenient than the car. Now, I can hardly believe that we accepted congestion and traffic jams, not to mention the air pollution from combustion engines. What were we thinking? Sometimes I use my bike when I go to see some of my friends. I enjoy the exercise and the ride. It kind of gets the soul to come along on the journey. Funny how some things never seem to lose their excitement. Walking, biking, cooking, drawing, and growing plants. It makes perfect sense and remind, reminds us how our culture emerged out of a close relationship with nature. In our city, we don't pay any rent because someone else is using our free space whenever we don't need it. My living room is used for business meetings when I'm not there. Once in a while, I will choose to cook for myself. It is easy. The the necessary kitchen equipment is delivered at my door within minutes. Since transportation became free, we stopped having all those things stuffed into our home. 
Why keep a pasta maker and a crepe and a crepe cooker crammed in our cupboards? We can just order them when we need them. This also this also made breakthrough this also made the breakthrough of the circular economy easier. When when products are turned into services, no one has an interest in things with a short lifespan. Everything is designed for durability, repairability, and recyclability. The materials are flowing more quickly in our economy and can be transformed from new products pretty easily. Environmental problems seem far Environmental problems seem far away since we only use clean energy and clean production methods. The air is clean, the water is clean, and nobody would dare touch the protected areas of nature because they constitute such value to our well-being. In the cities, we have plenty of green space and plants and trees all over. I still still do not understand why in the past we filled all of our free spots in the city with concrete. Shopping... I can't remember what that is. For most of us, it has been turned into choosing things to use. Sometimes I find this fun, and sometimes I just want the algorithm to do it for me. It knows my taste better than I do. When AI and robots took over so much of our work, we suddenly had the time to eat well, sleep well, and spend time with others. The concept of rush hour makes no sense anymore since the work that we since the work that we do can be done at any time. I don't really know if I would call it work anymore. It's more like thinking time, creation time, and development time. For a while, everything was turned into entertainment and people did not want to bother themselves with difficult issues. It was only at the last minute that we found out how to use all these new technologies for better purposes than just killing time. My biggest concern is all the people who do not live in the city, those we lost along the way. Those who decided that it became too much, all this technology. Those who felt obsolete and useless when the robots and AI took over part, big parts of our jobs. Those who got upset with the political system and turned against it. They live, they live different kinds of lives outside the city. Some have formed little self-supplying communities. Others just stayed in the empty and abandoned houses in small 19th century villages. Once in a while I get annoyed about the fact that I have no real privacy. Nowhere can I go and not be registered. I know that somewhere, everything I do, think, and dream of is recorded. I, I just hope that nobody will use it against me. All in all, it is a good life, much better than the path we were on, where it became so clear that we could not continue with the same model of growth. We had all these terrible things happening, lifestyle diseases, climate change, the refugee crisis, environmental degradation, completely congested cities, water pollution, air pollution, social unrest, and unemployment. We lost way too many people before we realized that things could, that we could do things differently. Okay, so that's the, uh, that's the blog written for the World Economic Forum. So obviously it's pretty crazy and there are a lot of things to unpack from that blog and one of the first things that comes to my mind is that this is actually a serious blog it's not a parody it's not written by some random conspiracy theorist this article was made for and by the world economic forum before 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 one of their annual meetings and so 
this message was approved by the World Economic Forum, meaning that this is and this is kind of an approved preview of a potential future, a future that they are striving for. And another thing to kind of note about this article is it's kind of it's very strange, right? Before an article that's kind of a prom- promoting a new lifestyle, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. It's it's kind of it has its pros and its cons. It's one part it one part of it presents this beautiful utopian world and another part of it kind of presents itself as a terrifying dystopian world. So let's kind of look at the pros and cons of that article. So in on the good side and in, in the utopian aspect of the article, the idea of owning of not owning anything. Now that's definitely a double-edged sword and again just like everything there are pros and cons to that, but uh on one hand, not owning anything can definitely be a blessing in disguise. You know, one of my favorite quotes from Fight Club is the things you own end up owning you, right? When you think about it, everything you own, especially the big stuff like homes, cars, appliances, electronics, all of those things come with added stress and responsibility, right? Once you own something, you are responsible for the maintenance, the repair, and you, and if it flat out breaks, replacement costs. So you are responsible for everything once you own it. And then even the small things, right? The more stuff we have, it just becomes consuming. And we all know this. If you've Anytime you move from one house to another, there's always a moment where you become just completely overwhelmed by the amount of stuff you have and how draining it can be. So again, not having all these things and just getting things as you needed, I I can definitely see the benefit of it. Because I think about our society today and it's, we have become such a materialistic society And we all have so much stuff that now just about everybody I know rents a storage unit. And here in Seattle, where the population is just booming and they're building massive apartment complexes, well, for every massive apartment complex that goes up, a massive four or five story storage unit place seems to go up. And it's because, again, everyone has so much stuff. And actually, one of my goals... In, is to start getting rid of a lot of things and just kind of thinking about the bare necessities of what I need so I'm not weighed down by so much stuff. So, again, like I said, not owning anything is definitely a double-edged sword, but there is a huge convenience, and there's that word, there's a huge convenience to not owning anything. Another good aspect of this potential new future is no traffic right and that's because most people could work from home and also this 
future talks about these smart traffic grids and public transportation, right, where you can just call up a car at any moment. They're driverless cars, which means that they are connected and they are talking to each other. So all the cars are talking to each other and they're all connected into the, you know, the traffic grid. And because of that, you can have a very efficient, in theory, you can have a very efficient traffic system. And again, there are a lot of benefits to that. One, I can think of, even though I don't really drink anymore, but, you know, drinking and driving or doing some sort of substance, right? I mean, if you could just call up a car and you could get anywhere and transportation was free, then there would no longer be any drunk driving accidents. There would be no more stress or road rage. And you could also be more efficient with your time. I mean, you could watch a movie if you are commuting or or work on the computer or do whatever. So, you know, I definitely can see the appeal on one hand to driverless vehicles. Another aspect that this future talks about is no boring jobs or no kind of mundane jobs because the robots and artificial intelligence has taken over those mundane jobs. And, you know, there's this idea that a lot of the jobs we have are considered bullshit jobs. And now that's not me being mean. That's, uh, I mean, there's a book written about this titled Bullshit Jobs. And basically that book talks about that there are differences between the types of jobs people do. And there are some jobs that are necessary to keep society moving and that jobs that add real societal benefit and then there are jobs that don't really add a whole lot of benefit to society for example thinking of a job like construction right that can the benefit to society is huge whether you're remodeling someone's kitchen or repairing a backup plumbing issue a contractor shows up to your house and your house is in one condition and when that contractor leaves your house, nine out of ten times, your house is in better condition. So just them showing up and doing their thing, they improved your life. They made the situation better. And then on the other hand, there are jobs where you are working for a large corporate machine, doing work that doesn't seem to be making the world any better. Instead, you're just going to meetings, responding to emails, and filling out TPS reports. So, again, not judging anybody on their job, but the idea is that, in in theory, if AI was able to do these boring, mundane jobs that most people wouldn't want to do anyway, then we would be freed up to use our time in more creative outlets doing things that are much more engaging and entertaining and again i mean it's hard that's a that's a good argument and i see that so on paper those those are the kind of the good aspects of of the blog now let's talk about some of the negative aspects right the kind of the dystopian world that this blog presents and first of all like this blog that opening line of it's 2030 and i own nothing and i've never been happier is 
sounds like an opening scene of an awesome movie based on 1984, Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451, or or The Matrix, or something like that, right? I could see, I could see that being said in an opening scene of a movie, and I would be all for that. I'd be super excited to watch this movie. Um, so, you know, we talked about that there was not owning anything was a double-edged sword. Well, the other side of that is. If you do not own anything, then you are dependent on the system, right? This is kind of where the convenience can start to pave a road to hell. So, like, the proposed future is is this 2030 world is selling you a life of convenience. And... The reason convenience is bad is when if everything is given to you and you no longer have to work for anything, you become soft and you become weak and you start to degrade. You lose skills, you lose drive, you lose motivation, you lose knowledge and the ability to fend for yourself, right? Like being entirely dependent on the system is a scary place because it means that you have no real freedom and that you are at the mercy of the people who actually do control the system, right? And I mean, in other words, you become a slave to the system. You become trapped in the matrix. Another aspect, which, you know, is one of the, the scarier parts of the blog is when this person was talking about having no privacy and saying that everything they do, including their dreams, are being recorded. And that's a scary thought because if, if you have no privacy and, every, and people know what you're doing at all times, then you must do as you are told, right? For fear of being removed from that system. And so you must always be on your best behavior at all times because Big Brother is always watching you. And so being another aspect of being dependent on the system is and having to be on your best behavior because somebody is always watching this kind of the where this can lead is what's called a social credit score. And this is actually being done in China right now. So something I got from Wikipedia about the social credit score says it's a national credit rating and blacklist being developed by the government of the People's Republic of China. The social credit initiative calls for the establishment of a record system so that businesses, individuals, and government institutions can be tracked and evaluated for their trustworthiness. So in other words, a social credit score is kind of like a real-life credit system, or, or I should say Yelp review system. And actually, there's a, I don't know if you guys have seen Black Mirror, which, I don't know, there's four or five seasons. A lot of the episodes are really great. And so there is a particular episode of Black Mirror called Nosedive, which is all about a potential social credit system and uh it's well done and it's extremely terrifying because you can see how this would work and how you could spiral out of control very quickly like in that episode um 
there's a woman and she has a particular credit rating. It's good, but not great. And so she wants to increase her credit rating so she could move into a luxury apartment. And over the course of the episode, uh, because of several mishaps and bad luck and just kind of random situations, her rating starts to fall. And it shows that as her rating gets worse, so does her life. And so it, that's kind of the, and that's the scary thing about all this. That's the risk of having a social credit score is that if your rating gets too low, your life will become miserable. And because of this, and because of this idea, everything you do, this this will force you to follow every rule and do exactly as you're told in order to keep your rating up. So anyway, those are kind of the uh, the negative aspects of of that blog. Um, one of the another very interesting thing, and I don't know if this is a negative or a positive, but it was when they talked about the people that don't live in the cities, the people who formed little self-supplying communities. Uh, I That was actually the part that piqued my interest more. Like, I would like to know more about those people. Um, the people that are choosing to uh, give up a life of convenience for more freedom and choosing to remove themselves from the matrix. Um, so this whole thing kind of reminds me of a cartoon I saw a while ago and it was two birds. There was one bird in a cage and one bird on a windowsill and the bird in the cage was talking to the bird in the windowsill and telling him how great life was in the cage saying, yeah, this is awesome. I'm completely protected from all predators my my masters bring me food all the time. It's it's a very convenient life. And the bird on the windowsill says, yeah, but you can't fly. And I guess that's kind of what it comes down to is that the real cost of convenience, the the cost of being dependent on a system is oftentimes a lack of freedom, a lack of living your true nature. And so another aspect about this blog that wasn't really explained well was if you don't, if you don't own anything and I don't own anything, who does, right? We know how this works. Somebody has to control the resources. Nobody gives you anything for free. Right? This is one thing we are just now learning about all these tech companies. There's a famous saying that if you don't pay for the product, you are the product. And we know this from Google, Facebook, Instagram, that these are products that we are allowed to use for free. So these these companies are giving away their products for free. Likewise, they are also some of the richest companies in the world. Why is that? Well, that's because they are making money off of us. They are making money off of our data. 
So to relate this to the world of 2030, where most people don't own anything, there, there will be, I guarantee you, there will be a small group of people who own everything and will benefit greatly from allowing everyone to use their products and services for free. So if we know that's true, who are these people that would own everything? Well, the answer is fairly easy. The answer is it's the same people who control most of the resources today. And as we're going to learn, these are essentially the same people who are a part of the World Economic Forum. So who or what is the World Economic Forum? So according to Wikipedia, the World Economic Forum was founded on January 24, 1971 by German engineer and economist Klaus Schwab. The foundation, which is mostly funded by its thousand-member companies, typically global enterprises with more than five billion U.S. dollars in turnover, as well as public subsidiaries, views its own mission as improving the state of the world by engaging business, political, academic, and other leaders of society to shape global, regional, and industry agendas. So. In other words, the World Economic Forum is composed of the richest people in the world whose goal is to shape global policy. Uh, you know, maybe this is a good thing, maybe not. But one thing to note, one thing to kind of rem remember is that the last two years, when we had the virus, which shall, shall not be named, the rich got richer. So many ec economists said that during COVID, we had the greatest transfer of wealth from the middle class to the global elites in history. So many small businesses were forced to close or operate with extreme restrictions while nearly all the big box stores, the large mega corporations, were deemed essential and allowed to operate as normal. So the result of this over two years caused many of the mom and pop businesses to go out of business, which then allowed these mega corporations to expand their reach. And so, so that's... That's kind of where we're at with that blog, but now I want to kind of shift gears still talking about the World Economic Forum because they're – so I guess what I'm saying is that that blog, the 2030 agenda, was from a couple years ago. And so now the new shift or a way to achieve that 2030 is the World Economic Forum is – one of their biggest agendas is climate change. Now, I'm not going to get into a debate whether climate change is real or not because obviously the climate changes. Now, climate change is a very complicated topic um, and that's a debate for another day, but in order to combat climate change, the World Economic Forum is pushing for electric vehicles. And... 
And so much so that California just passed a bill to ban the sale of gas vehicles by 2035. And in Washington State, where I live, not to be outdone by California and in an effort to be more woke, set a date to ban the sale of gas vehicles uh, by 2030. So basically, in eight years, in the state of Washington, you will no longer be able to buy a gasoline-powered vehicle. Um, And this is, again, to help fight climate change. So there was an article from The Hill, thehill.com, which, talking about Washington State, said Governor Jay Ensley talking about the Washington State bill called Move Ahead Washington. Uh, Jay Ensley said, Transportation is our state's largest source of greenhouse gas emissions. There is no way to talk about climate change without talking about transportation. This package will move us away from the transportation system our grandparents imagined and towards the transportation system our our grandchildren dreamed of, said Washington Governor Jay Ensley in a statement. So, is this true? Are electric vehicles better for the environment? Well, in order to answer that, we first kind of understand where do we get our energy from? Where does the United States get its energy from? So most of the energy that is used to power our houses and power the electric vehicles, 80% of it comes from fossil fuels. 36% of the nation's energy originated from petroleum, 32% from natural gas, and 11% from coal. So again, that's 80% of our energy is from fossil fuels. There's another 8% supplied by nuclear power and 12% uh, supplied by renewable green energies, which includes hydroelectric dams, biomass, wind, geothermal, and solar. And so... Another thing that maybe people don't understand about electric cars is electric cars, yeah, while they don't burn fossil fuels when they are on the move, there's an 80% chance that the source of electricity used to power the electric vehicle was produced by a fossil fuel. And then there's a whole other thing with this idea of clean energy. How clean is clean energy, right? Dams, we know, hurt fish fish population. Windmill and solar farms destroy national destroy natural habitats. And I just saw the other day that windmills have a bad problem of killing birds. So it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't type of situation we find ourselves in and then not to mention that the batteries for the electric car uh, are made from minerals which must be mined and many of these minerals are considered conflict minerals one mineral in particular is cobalt which is an extremely necessary for the batteries and without And as I understand, without cobalt, you don't have electric vehicles. And almost all of the cobalt, 70% of the cobalt comes from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And 
the majority of those mines are owned by China. So again, the situation is kind of getting complicated and crazy. And the Democratic Republic of Congo was one of the most mineral-rich places on Earth. And, and because of that, you would think that it should be one of the richest countries in the world. But in fact, it's the opposite. It's a very poor, corrupt, and dangerous place because it has been pillaged by outsiders for centuries. Other people coming in and taking over and taking control of the resources and these cobalt mines are kind of crazy if you look into it. I and mean, they are literally mined by children with, with sticks. It's, I mean, it's kind of like almost the worst possible situation. And on top of that, these mines are open pit mines, which is absolutely horrible for the environment. I, I grew up in uh, Silver City, New Mexico, which was right next to the Santa Rita copper mine, which at least at one point, or at least what we were told, it was considered the largest open pit mine in the world. And going to this thing was crazy, just this massive hole in the ground. And they had these dump trucks where the tires were like 10 feet tall. I mean, these trucks were huge. And you would see these trucks at the bottom of the dam and they look like, or the, the bottom of the of the pit of the mine and they look like little micro machines. So these open pit mines are huge, huge holes in the ground. So I don't know. Um, so basically what, what this comes down to, and again, this is kind of a complicated topic and I know I'm, I'm kind of all over the place on this one, but what I'm trying to say is it's a hard argument to make that electric vehicles are any better for the environment and not to mention that supporting a electric vehicle, you're also supporting a foreign nation. Now, again, we live in a global connected world, so maybe it's a good thing that we're supporting other countries, but it's always better to support your neighbor than some other person you don't know in a far-off land. Um, so, I guess what I'm trying to say is, as what it seems to me is, while something needs to be done about pollution and petroleum, you know, petroleum-based vehicles are not necessarily the answer, so I'm not saying that we need to that it's good because it's not and we got to figure something out the the switch to electric vehicles is at best a lateral move and possibly even a downgrade so why why does this matter what does this mean why is there such a push towards electric vehicles well it's it's quite possible that there's another agenda for these electric vehicles and that's to help implement what's called the Internet of Things. And you will see how this kind of relates to the blog that we just that I just read. So the Internet of Things, the definition of that is the Internet of Things describes physical objects or groups of such objects with sensors, processing ability, software, and other techno technologies that connect and exchange data with other devices and systems over the internet 
or other communication networks. So, in other words, it's having, it's, it's being, it's living in the matrix, it's living in the Truman Show, it's living in a world where everything is connected and everything is talking to everything else. And so electric vehicles, they are essentially computers on wheels, which is their biggest strength, but also their biggest weakness. See, I, I know a lot of people with electric cars, and I'm they are amazing. Like, I am not hating on electric cars. Like, they are, they're badass, and there's a part of me that definitely wants one, um, especially some of these electric trucks that are coming out. But And so you can, people that own these electric vehicles tell me that they get software update updates on their car automatically their car is just constantly updating constantly changing constantly upgrading i mean it, it's crazy the flip side of that is it means that someone else has control of your car right and so what happens relating this to the kind of social credit score aspect uh what happens if you didn't pay your car bill on time or maybe you tweeted something politically incorrect what if one day you go out to drive your vehicle and it won't turn on for a few days that you you essentially got canceled or grounded from your car for a week because for bad behavior um now this may sound like paranoid thinking and maybe it is but this is already happening so a few weeks ago about a month ago actually uh in Colorado, they were experiencing a heat wave. Weather was well over 90 degrees. And so there's a some Colorado utility company that gave out to 22,000 of their customers these smart thermostats. And apparently a lot of electric utility companies are going out to, uh, are making the push to convert everyone over to a smart energy system again pros to that everything's talking they can be more efficient it can realize when you're not in the house and change the temperature accordingly so we're not just heating in an empty house or whatever so obviously there are there are benefits to that but so what happened was during this heat wave people got locked out of their thermostat so when people went to turn down the thermostat to kick on the AC to cool down their house, they got a message that said that they were not allowed to drop their temperature below, like, I think it was 78 degrees or something. So, again, when everything becomes smart, when everything becomes a computer on wheels, there's always a guiding hand, there's a, a controlling hand that outside someone you don't know has control over your car or whether or not you can heat or cool your house. So, um, also electric vehicles, because they are computers on wheels, they are all developing self-driving capability. Again, we talked about this in the blog and we talked about how there is a lot of benefit to that. But, once your car is able to drive itself, it doesn't become long before you are no longer able or allowed to drive your car because it will not be safe and it'll be more convenient. So 
you will lose the ability to operate your own vehicle. Okay, so hopefully this is kind of flown. Um, so let's, so to kind of wrap this up, I'm going to say why, why talk about this, right? I know that this can sound like crazy conspiracy talk and that I've gone off the deep end and, you know, <laughs> maybe I have, who knows. But I feel that it is, it is good to be informed about what's going on and trying to open your perspective to everything. And because that, it helps you see the true nature of reality, not just the reality that's projected on the wall or projected through your screens. You know, I, I see this search for knowledge as like a, a search for truth. It's, it's the idea, as G.I. Joe says, knowing is half the battle. And the more, the more you know, the better able you are to make decisions that impact your life. See, our lives are a direct result of our decisions, right? The decision to go left or right, the decision to move or stay, to act or not act. And so the more informed you are, the better equipped you are to make these important decisions. And the better decisions, the better decisions you make, the result of that is a better quality of life. And so... I mean, I don't know about you, but the world described in the blog, the world of 2030, while certain parts of it sound interesting and even ideal, it's not a world in which I want to live. I want to be with the people who left the cities for a different, more free type of lifestyle. 